You're listening to Date Smart with Taylor Wade. 20 years ago, I co-founded Ambiance Matchmaking, an exclusive matchmaking agency that has helped over 100,000 singles master their dating lives. In this season, we'll be exploring how our money mindset affects our dating lives and relationships. Mastering your dating life is easier than you think. It's just a matter of science and a little know-how. Grab your coffee, follow along, and don't forget to hit subscribe. I guess my dad would have been a very working class background. He worked for the electricity company. Back in the day, he lost his parents very young and he eventually got into entrepreneurship, grew a hugely successful business, making an absolute fortune, and then went bankrupt for $5 million, losing everything. Uh, and gambling the family home. So we've had a roller coaster all the way from, yeah, very low cl- working class all the way to making a fortune of money and all the way back down again. Wow. And how would you explain your family's mindset around money when you were growing up? For example, what were some common sayings such as money doesn't grow on trees or money is the root of all evil? Those are two that my mum has directly said to me. Money doesn't grow on trees and money is the root of all evil. And she's had some very negative experiences of money. And I think coming from an environment where there was a lot of money at some point. So my dad would bring home these suitcases of money and we would have to count them and we'd have to put all of the queen's heads around the right way on the notes and stack them for him so he could pay it into the bank the next day. And he always kept a bunch of cash in the fridge in case he ever needed to do a deal. Um, Who's going to look in the fridge for the money? So that was his safety place. Yeah, so if you can find his house, look in the fridge. You never know where it is. I'm not recommending that. It's not a good thing to say on a podcast. Um, So, like, on one hand, it was incredibly entrepreneurial and there was money flowing. And on the other hand, like, money ripped our family to pieces at the end because the entrepreneurial business died, because there were arguments, because it completely ripped us to pieces. What was the dynamic like between your parents? For example, who handled the finances? Um, This sounds so 80s, and it actually has formed the basis of a lot of what I say to Katie and how we work together. My dad was in charge of the money, and he gave her housekeeping, and it was her, like, she ran the house with that money, and I hate that. Mm -hmm. I hate that the man deals with the money. I think it's wrong. So for us, that has informed we do everything together. We make the decisions about where we invest together. We make the decisions about finances together. It's not my money. It's not Katie's money. We do it all together. And I think so many in the past, the woman has gone, you deal with the money and almost doesn't even want to know. They just expect it to keep flowing, which puts a lot of pressure on the man. It can all go wrong. It can end in huge arguments. And I hate that model of the world. Yeah, that the dynamics were the same in my family history as well. My grandma expected my grandpa to make and manage the money, and that was passed down to my mother, who also gave over all of the financial responsibility to my father. She didn't even have a bank account for a good period of time. Um, I think it was such a common family dynamic in the past. And I feel like this conversation about who makes and manages 
the money was almost non-existent. What else did you absorb from that whole experience? Or put another way, what kind of programming did you adopt from your family around money beliefs? A bunch of good and bad. Money creates massive problems between families. It's ripped all sorts of brothers, sisters, parents. It's destroyed relationships. Money has completely wrecked my family in so many ways. And that programming was very strong because I viscerally experienced all of the damage it created. On the other side, my dad was an incredible entrepreneur. And at one stage, he couldn't afford to give me pocket money to be able to get the train to school. Um, so instead, he said, you can take anything from my sportswear shop, sell it, I'll give you a base price and then any profit you make is yours. So he, he couldn't afford to give me money, but he gave me a way to earn money. And I made more at school between 16 to 18 than I did in my first jobs. And I like learnt to create money and my dad gave me that opportunity. And that was an incredible blessing in some ways. I, like, I learned so many different things about money that were good and bad. And it took me so long to unpick these different elements. When, when was it when you realized that you wanted to change how you perceived money? Well, I think my entire journey on belief started. I remember exactly the point. My parents were getting divorced. I was working in the family business you do not want to work in the family business when they're getting divorced. So I left that. So I'd lost my job. My family was falling to pieces. And I went to see my girlfriend at the time and said, I want to get away. Like I've always wanted to go to Brazil. Let's go traveling. And she said, no, thank you. I don't love you anymore. Uh, so I lost my family, my job and my girlfriend in a gone. And this guy gave me a book and he said, you're in a mess. You need this. <laughs> like, Thanks. Thanks, I think. Uh, and he gave me this self-development book called Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins, which one of the foundational elements is the beliefs that create your life. And it talks about the beliefs that you're handed by your family. It talks about the beliefs that you're handed by society. And it talks about beliefs that might be more positive that can help you. And one of the beliefs he suggests in the book is I can learn anything. And I, I love that belief. <laughs> I firmly took that from that book and went, okay, I can learn anything. And that book blew my mind. I was like, whoa, there's so much you can learn. And it led to another book and another book. And then I became this, you can learn anything. And I was devouring self-development books. I was devouring ideas and learning and learning and learning and deciding which beliefs would help me and which beliefs would trap me. And eventually I read the Millionaire Mind Intensive and we went on the course and it talks about what you believe about money and money is the root of all evil is a belief that was repeated in my childhood. However, that does not lead to a happy future because it's not the money that caused the problems. It's the people and the way they react to the money. And you have to differentiate the two. And the actual expression is the love of money is the root of all evil. And I, I don't even think that's true. 
like you can love money it's just when you put it above other people that it becomes a problem and analyzing those beliefs and the way you think and deciding what was right or wrong and it all started with a self-development book going you can choose what you believe so choose wisely because it affects your life I had a much more stable upbringing (laughs) much more stable I remember a few phrases that were repeated. One was live within your means. This is a good one. Don't spend more than you earn or spend less than you earn because there was a very big saving mentality as well. I loved saving. I used to like get, I used to hoard money almost. And the other one was basically don't go into debt. So have a credit card by all means, but pay it off in full every month. Like don't, borrow money sounds like you got an actual education on how to handle money <laughs> like i'm surprised by there's this. some good basics there's some very good basics where yeah i mean that's more than what i got i don't remember having any sort of tips or advice on how to handle money we didn't even talk about money very taboo topic it was a taboo in my house as well my mum for years would not tell us how much she earned i think her family was quite secretive about money don't ask how much you earn don't ask who you voted for in the election secret ballot secret yeah ballot. that's my mum who she voted for in the election she goes secret ballot <laughs> <laughs> which it just shows the programming that came from her parents which then it like gets passed down and if you're not careful then you just automatically adopt it one of my favorite expressions along that line is you are not responsible for the programming you received as a child, but you are 100% responsible for changing it as an adult. But I don't think we often notice these things that are just part down. They're said to us so many times and we just end up repeating them in adulthood. Well, whenever we met for, for ceviche last week with Diego, I, 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 cause we were talking about this, right? How things get passed down and we either, well, I was trying to say like, we either replicate what we had seen in our house from our parents or we see that we don't want to be that way and we do the opposite. But I like, I loved what you said when you, you said, well, you can take the time to actually create your own set of rules and create the way that you want to be and handle money and go forth and go forward. And so, yeah, I, I love that. I think often it doesn't come out until if you choose to have your own children and the things that you want to teach them, like maybe you don't notice all these things until it's time for you to be like, okay, I'm a parent. I'm going to impart my wisdom onto my children. And then this stuff comes out. Like I hear myself saying things to my nieces, not about money, but just random stuff that my mom used to say to me, to them. So I can see how it happens. And yeah, it's interesting how maybe it only starts to come out when you're in the position of, trying to teach your children something. Well, I think milestones in general will bring up things you never realized before. I mean, that's exactly what's happening with me and Diego right now. As we're preparing for the wedding, we started having these conversations about, oh gosh, everything, what we value in life, what we want our lives to look like 10 years from now, why we want to grow our money, where we want to live, do we want to have a normal wedding or do we want to elope? Would we rather put that money towards buying a house? Do we even want to buy a house or do we prefer the freedom of renting? Do we want to have kids? When do we want to retire? What kind of vacations do we want to have? How much we should save for vacations and fun? I mean, just 
everything. And here we are two months later, still having these conversations. I mean, just this morning we had a conversation about whether or not we should get a prenup and what we should include in the prenup. I mean, I feel like these conversations are never ending. And yeah, like you said, it's amazing the things you realize during during these life milestones, whether it's having kids or getting married or whatnot. I'm curious when you say conversations and discussions, is that code word for arguments? (laughs) That's a great question. Yesterday, it was on the brink of argument. I got emotional. I started crying twice. (laughs) Diego was just looking at me like, why are you getting so emotional? He's, you know, very just cool, calm, collect, and I'm the more emotional one. But I, yeah, I had a lot of emotion. I was getting angry. I was getting upset. I was crying. And and it's really interesting because it's not just in the moment, but afterward you have to think like, why was I getting so emotional about that? You know, and where did that come from? Where did that come from? And the other interesting question is what do I have to believe to feel that way? Yeah. Because you're feeling a certain feeling, you're feeling defensive, or you're feeling challenged, or you're feeling sad, or whatever it is. What do you have to believe for that to be real? Right, right. It challenges your whole framework for who you are. It's a great opportunity to to ask yourself, is that who I want to be, or is that what I want to believe in? And there's one thing I'd love to say to everyone listening to the podcast is you do not have to wait for a milestone to happen to have these conversations. You can start at any point by asking your potential partner, your friend, I don't care who it is, start talking about it with questions like, so what did your parents teach you about money? Taylor asked some great questions on this podcast. You don't have to be on the podcast to answer them. Take them to dinner. What did your parents teach you? How did you grow up? What expressions did they teach you? And it's fascinating. Then you'll start to learn where that programming came from, what happens, and you can make a decision of whether you want to perpetuate it or not. Uh, I love that so much. Um, Okay, Katie, going back to you, what did you absorb from your childhood and how has it affected your life? For me, it was that I was a definite saver. So I saved money. I felt like that was very strongly part of what my parents taught me. I sometimes took it to the extreme. So I said like I hoarded money almost. (laughs) Now I need to dial it back a little bit. I'm too much wanting to save for saving's sake. And Alan and I have hit financial independence and we haven't amount of money that we can spend each year and I'm still trying to like save and spend less even though I don't need to and I think I don't I was about to say I don't want to go too far the other way and be irresponsible and I know Alan would normally say to me to like go a little bit to me relaxing a little bit oh my god buy the smoked salmon it'll be okay I'm gonna start buy the blueberries I'm gonna gonna, like just (laughs) Stop burning money left, right, and center. Uh, Just for everyone listening quickly, what is financial independence? When you say you're financially independent, what does that mean? The simple definition is your assets, the things you've invested in, produce a bigger return than your expenses. So you never have to work again if you don't want to. AKA, they're living the cush cush lifestyle. Yeah, our savings and investments have grown over the years to a point that they produce more than we spend. So whether we work or not, there is money turning up in our world. 
This is one of the biggest learnings I'd love to give to your audience. Do courses together. Do books together. Learn together. Find someone to do it with. Because I used to go off and do courses on my own. I'd get really excited. I'd done like a three or four day course. I'd come back and tell Katie about it. And of course, how am I meant to describe in 20 minutes what's happened over four (laughs) days? And I butched the content. I'd tell Katie and she'd go, that's interesting. Right. (laughs) And then I'd have this sad moment of I've like, and it just didn't work. And we were growing in opposite directions and it was pulling us apart. And then at some stage we realized do the courses together, learn together. I feel like it's the only way, because I had a similar experience just with this one book that we began reading together because I was reading it on my own and then trying to (laughs) relay the information (laughs) to Diego and just feeling deflated because he would just look at me with the same reaction. That's cool, honey. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) And you're like, no, it's life-changing. We need to do this. Are you not excited like I am? Are you then trying to have these discussions in Spanish, which is not your native language? At this point, my Spanish is better than his English. It just makes sense to have these conversations in, in Spanish. I think we're going to reread it now because we read it last year and I feel like we're running into the same walls that we ran into last year. Interesting. Or last year we didn't realize how big of an issue they were, but now we do because we're getting married. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the bigger issue. At least you're talking about this before you get married rather than most people who do it 20 years into being married and it falls apart and they've never even had. Like some people don't even know their partner's in debt when they're getting married. I know. I think that, okay, this is why I got emotional yesterday because my parents got divorced because of money. They never talked about it, but I'm seeing similar patterns with Diego and myself as with my dad and my mom. And I hate to say it, but I'm just really scared of falling into that same pit and that same pattern. And so I got really emotional yesterday because I'm, I just, I don't want to follow that path. I want to create our own path and I want Diego to be there with me. And I I got really emotional about it. That is the, the fact you're getting married prompting this because of the thought that you're going to combine your finances together it's like what is it about the fact that you're getting married that changes anything I think I was the one that just told him I before we get married I want to make sure that we're on the same page with everything and that includes a lot of different things how we view money our money psychology and then number two creating our life together what kind of lifestyle we want and then three, like actually going through the numbers together. Cause I want you to know that I have student loan debt, like everyone else in the U S <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to go so. into it with eyes wide open yes. to what's, where, what, where, where you're, you're going, what yeah. you're doing. Cause money is the number one reason for divorce in the U S yeah. and I think it's a huge problem elsewhere as well. And I think like maybe it's infidelity and other things as well, but Sometimes money can be the cause of that and it's the outlet as opposed to the real reason. And it's really fascinating. So if we could do anything to get people to talk about money earlier, money philosophy, money ideas, your beliefs, your way of operating. I would love that. Please, please talk to your friends, anyone. At what point did you begin talking about money in your relationship? 
We did a couple of courses, didn't we? We did the Millionaire Mind that we just mentioned, and we also did one called Billionaire Bootcamp. But it was an interesting and it promoted what we were doing. And I was building a business and I thought entrepreneurship was my route and I wanted to go that way. So we started talking about more about earning money and different things. And those courses would inspire us about assets. And I read this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is kind of one of those seminal books people talk about. And he talks about an asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes money out of your pocket. And then for about two years afterwards, I was saying to Katie, where do we buy an asset? Where's the asset shop? How do I buy an asset? What is an asset? Show me the assets. And you get really frustrated about like, what is an asset? How do we do it? And so we, it's the self-development, it's the learning, it's the concepts and the ideas gradually brought it in. And then we would discuss the books and what we were doing and, I think we were both keen to build wealth as well, weren't we? We. It was, I never wanted to end up like my parents. Yeah. That was a hugely away from motivator. And Alan had kind of shown me this different world that there's, you can do anything. You don't just have to follow the standard path. And my family is very traditional. So it's go to university, get a good degree so that you can then get a good job and then work in that job and advance up the career ladder. And then until you're 65, until you retire and, and then you die. Alan was like, you know, you don't have to live that way if you don't want to. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, so then he'd shown me this, all these other possibilities, which was a journey in itself because I was quite resistant to start with. Because like, this is weird. No, like you can't do that. Um, and then one of the things that we talked about of the possibilities was having enough money. So we, we didn't have, have to, to work anymore. Work any- I think that came later to start with having enough money so that you can take like a month off a year. And that seemed really out there to start with. And then suddenly we learned about the fact that you could take the rest of your life. You could retire early and not have to work again. So yeah, Alan kind of opened both of our eyes to all these different ways of living. Yeah, those are two huge doors you opened. <laughs> I mean, just the, just the, I've just noticed between, I mean, with our clients and also with my relationships, if one person is an entrepreneur and the other one isn't, it makes a huge difference. I mean, there's a huge mentality shift between entrepreneurs and, and people that are working in the corporate world. Um, and the second thing, financial independence, that's just <laughs> not having to work for the rest of your life. That's a huge, another huge concept, uh, that you introduced into the relationship. So I'm sure, how, how did you feel whenever he brought those conversations up at first? You're weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> factually correct. I remember Alan studied NLP. I don't know if you've heard of that, mm-hmm. neuro-linguistic programming. Yep. And I was just like, this is weird. And so much so that he knew I came from quite a more scientific background that things need like rigor and proof and things. So he bought me a book called NLP, the scientific scientific approach approach or something something like that. that. Yeah. In an attempt to meet me where I was. To come over to the dark side. Oh, smart. You learned her, her language, her, her way of thinking. But it was (laughs) weird and foreign and different and. Some of it is hocus pocus and some of it actually works and is really clever. And you have to decide on your own what it is. And I think like it was, I, I got addicted to learning from these books. 
So I'd read a book and then I would instantly apply it and see whether it worked in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a strange concept to most people. And my friends used to, to joke with me, take the mickey out of me. I don't know what the American expression is. Tease me. Tease me, thank you. They would tease me. That's also a British expression, just saying. saying. Uh, Thank you for helping me with my (laughs) linguistics. They would tease me because I would say, you can learn anything from a book. And they thought this was a weird concept. I'm like, well, it's not. You can read about it and then do it. And I got passionate about reading and learning. And eventually I stopped telling people that I was reading and learning because they just teased me about it. So I just did it. And I was I wanted Katie to learn with me. I wanted to grow together. I wanted to learn together. I wanted to do all of this together. But it was quite hard like I think Katie was skeptical of some of the stuff I was learning and the science based like show me the proof and both your parents are like into chemistry and science and teachers and all of that stuff and there's me going here's a self development book with no proof but it'll change your life woo <laughs> Well, that brings up a good point. Like, how do you talk to a, your partner if he or she is reluctant to start learning or start thinking about these concepts? Like, you wow. wear them down over the decades. <laughs> nag, nag, nag. No, nag, that's nag. not true. I always like focused on I want to build this incredible life with you. And I want a cool life and I want all these things. So we should be setting goals and thinking about where we're going and what we're doing. And then we read one book, uh, Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour work week, which spoke of mini retirements. Mm-hmm. We're like, that's just a concept that is mini retirements. And I was like, I want a mini retirement after our wedding. That's what I want to do. And we both got excited by that. We had a six-month honeymoon, basically, didn't we? Yeah, we we took six months off for our honeymoon, which people go, what? Six months for your honeymoon? They go for two weeks in the Seychelles and blow about the same amount of money that we spent on six months traveling the world. And we had an amazing time. It was phenomenal. And then we came back and I, we both had a taste of a different way of living. I was so grumpy going back to work after that. <laughs> I was like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> work this, is, office. this is awful. <laughs> I don't want this. I completely lost my mojo for work after mm-hmm. doing that. I didn't go for promotions. I was like, this is, I'm not up for this. And then in... 2015 I read another book which was basically about how to sort your finances out on money and it showed us like the level of investments you would need at three different levels to retire so like the basics to cover your house and electricity and bills and food and then like an upper level where you can go out once a week and do a few nice bits but it's not living big and then like a big level. And we're like, oh, this is incredible. So we read this book. We got absolutely fanatical about it. We told everyone and one of our friends sent us a link to Mr. Money Mustache, the financial independence world. You devoured his blog. Yes. And what was the book called that you read? Don't read it. We won't tell you because we don't recommend it because it's like a thousand pages intense you have to translate the thing to be able to even understand well, we it. And to... there's much better books that we have now read, but yes. it started us. Okay. We had to translate it because it was written for an American audience and we had to figure out how that worked for us in the UK in if, terms of yeah investing. And stuff. If you want to read the simple version, read The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. 
It's a phenomenal book, lays out very simply the principles of financial independence, how much you need and how to get there. And it's like a 300 page book that's simple and practical. This one just was too much, but it started us and you need something to ignite the flame to know where you're going. Well, and actually that book did serve us well because it got rid of your fear of the stock market. I had a huge fear of investing. Huge fear. Why? My dad, back when I was 1920, all of the money that I'd earned at school, through buying and selling his sportswear, through selling school college party tickets, through all my entrepreneurial ventures, I'd saved up like £7,000. It was my life savings. Back then, £7,000, like it was, a, it was a house deposit, a big house deposit. And he, invest, he persuaded me to invest the entire amount in an actively managed, high-tech, high-growth fund right before the dot-com bubble. Mm. And I lost everything. Oh, no. It all vanished. And my house deposit evaporated. I was left with nothing from all that work. And my mum backed up the belief that the stock market was evil because of the amount of money my dad had lost in different ways through doing these crazy things. So all the way from 20 till early 30s, something like that, mid-30s, I was allergic to stocks in the stock market. How did you get over your fear? I read this book that said actively managed funds are evil. And basically an actively managed fund is where you pay a higher fee to get someone to pick stocks and shares for you because the professionals know best. (laughs) However, the data shows that you would got just as good a chance of success if you took the financial papers and threw darts at it and used that as your technique for picking stocks. People cannot, there's like a handful of people that you can name, like Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio. No one else can pick stocks and shares over the long term. It just isn't a thing. And I'm like, okay, so now I understand why I lost money when I was 21 or whatever it was, and I understand why it went wrong. And then it showed me the way to do it in a different way, which was passive investing or index investing. And it suggested this was the route. So that education showed me the mistake I'd made, why I was an idiot and how to do it differently. <laughs> and so then I was like, okay, there's this different route. Let's test that. And we tried it and we started to work and we learned more. And then Mr. Money Mustache's blog. And then we booked to go on this course called Chautauqua, which is a financial independence retreat. It was in Ecuador at the time. We flew to Ecuador to meet J.L. Collins and Mr. Money Mustache and the mad scientist. And we met all these people who'd retired in their 30s. Mm. And it just crazy. You can do this. Yeah. So we followed the path and Katie retired when she was 35 and I got there at 40, slightly behind her. It was actually exactly the same time. I'm just older and less efficient at earning money. For all that self-development, you started early. I tried my hardest. <laughs> and I'll list all of these books and courses in the show notes for everyone listening. I would love to learn more about how you guys actually had these conversations and what they were focused on in the very beginning. So were they focused on 
what's the reason for creating our wealth together? Or was it more just learning about how you guys view wealth and how your habits and, or was it just straight up kind of like, here's an Excel sheet we're going to share and we're going to go through the numbers <laughs> and like, what was your kind of, yeah, your process for having these conversations? Um, I'm selfishly asking because I would love some help with Diego and I. <laughs> I think to start with, well, I think we've always had a common goal. So the first one was that we wanted to have our own place together. And that we was, wanted a house. That was such mm. a massive focus. I used to be an actuary and I was doing professional exams. And every time I passed an exam, I got a pay rise. And every time I got a pay rise, it means we can borrow a bit more for a mortgage because they do like a multiple of your salary. So the more you earn, the more the banks are willing to lend you. And so we, that was such a big focus that let's earn more money so that we can get a place together. Um, In terms of what, so that was very spreadsheet based and like the actual, the numbers. And then we were having these conversations around it from the books and the courses that we did. I think conversation sometimes was code word for argument because Alan was like, this is amazing. We can do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh no, this is weird. Katie's very risk averse. She's trained to look for what would go wrong, not for what could go right. And I'm the opposite. That's our dynamic. Diego and I were the exact same. (laughs) That's our dynamic also. I assume you're Alan and Diego is me in this scenario. Okay. Um, And... We, it just took time. It just, like, how did we, we overcome did book clubs. that? So Stephen Covey wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. and there is a workbook. And I'm a geek for learning, so I bought us a copy each of the book, I bought us a copy each of the workbook, and we did book club, where we would go to a cafe for two hours and work through the book, work through, come up with a vision for our family life, discuss where we come from. But why was I willing to do that when I hadn't? done stuff in the past because like, i think it's changed? dr stephen r covey no that's not why <laughs> <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i can't remember what shifted or why suddenly then why was i getting i kept involved? asking you to read books and come on courses and do things together and at some point i think you said yes and one of them inspired you and i just had to keep asking i just you wore her down positive. you wore me down <laughs> Endlessly positive. We need to do this together. We need to learn together. And I think I was so desperate. And we actually, we've just started this last week doing another course together. I don't think learning ever stops. And we're doing Tony Robbins relationship program together. I would love to hear how that goes. We're in it right now. And one of the things said, one of his questions is, what is your ideal relationship like? And my reflection on that is the biggest thing I want is a co-creator. And that's my language for someone that I want to build our life together. And there was an expression I heard years ago that the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. I.e., no one's going to come around and give you an extraordinary life. They don't go around school going, uh, Taylor, would you like an extraordinary life? <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Pass me one over. <laughs> it doesn't happen. 
the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. So we have to create it. And I don't want to do it on my own. I want to do it together. And that was one of the biggest things. I want to create our future together. I want someone to build with, not against. And during these conversations that you guys had together, were there things that you guys disagreed on that would that kept showing up in the conversations? What were some things that you guys disagreed on and how did you reconcile your differences? I think it was the mindset of possibility that Alan would come with like, we could do this, 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 or this. And my normal response was, you're weird. Mm -hmm. Or I would like make a joke out of something that he said and like take out away all his power of excitement. And sometimes I would get angry and fight for it. Sometimes I would sulk off in the corner and be upset and like moody for a while. Um, sometimes I'd come up with a different strategy. I, I, it was difficult at times. And when we first did the getting to financial independence stuff, you had a thing of why should we be allowed? Why should you be allowed to do it? Yes. I had a lot of weird guilt of why should I be allowed to do this thing that hardly anyone does and you're meant to work for your whole life and everyone's going to judge us and I projected all my stuff onto other people like they're gonna think this 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 and this and obviously that was me thinking that and saying that other people were gonna think that I was brought up to be like just like everyone else to fit in and to do what everyone else does so when Alan said let's be weird I was like, no. <laughs> and I never fitted in. I got bullied hideously at school. I never fitted in. And I spent a good decade wanting to fit in until I realised I don't, I'm never going to fit in. I don't care. I don't need their approval. I don't want anything to do with it. And people are vicious. We were, Katie was in the newspaper recently. I've been in the newspaper. People are vicious. They write horrible comments. We're in the newspaper about being financially independent. Just yes. For context. Yeah, not, not like... for weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> it was actually quite a positive story of here's this couple. They've reached financial independence. They've retired early. You can do it too. Be inspired, world. And then you get all the rude comments of your parasites on society. You're this. You're evil. You're ruining this. Don't and... read the comments. Yeah, don't read the comments, but it's it's interesting and like the, that kind of stuff exists, and I can understand why people don't want to stand out. They don't want to to put themselves out there. I think in particular, our culture in the UK is very much if someone looks like they're starting to succeed, is to pull them back down so that they can be with the rest of us. Whereas I think in the states, it's more like Celebrate celebration success. of oh, this person's done well and they're an inspiration to everyone else. Mm. How long did it? take you from this initial point to the point of okay I'm on board I'm going to start diving into all of this with you and learning more about all these new concepts entrepreneurship financial independence 10 years <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad don't feel I bad do. it's fine Oh, I love you. It's okay. Like we all start where we start and we all do what we do. And I was just fortunate someone gave me a book and I actually read it and I was open to it and I was lucky. And it starts and 
Like, look where we are now. We've done well. We're happy. Yeah, but I made it really difficult for you. It's okay. I love you. I just wanted to be with you. No. <laughs> told you I'd cry, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm the one that cries. <laughs> Feel free to keep this in the thing, by the way. <laughs> it took a long time for us to come together. So for anyone listening to this, if you've been working at it for years, don't lose heart. Keep going. Nag, nag, keep nag, nag. No, not <laughs> nagging. Positively, let's build a bright future together. Let's work together. What future would you like? What do you want? Let's build it together. And the positive focus. I love that. I agree. It's so important to have that positive focus together and also to reach a point of mutual understanding of one another, right? I mean, it wasn't until last year when I started diving into the vast world of money psychology that I began to see how money problems go so much deeper than what's on the surface. It's like that iceberg image used in mental health where it shows the tip of the iceberg with a symptom and then it shows all of the underlying causes below the iceberg. I feel like money is the same, like the exact same concept. Most people will fight for years about a quote unquote money problem when in reality it might have nothing to do with money itself and everything to do with something that happened in their childhood and now they're getting triggered by it as an adult. For example, not feeling like you're worthy or good enough as a child could manifest in adulthood as I don't deserve to earn a certain amount of money or I don't deserve to live a wealthy life. And that can cause real issues in the relationship. I mean, that's why I believe these questions are crucial to ask in relationships and not with the objective of getting your partner to think and behave like you do, but purely to understand why your partner thinks and behaves the way that they do. Because only with mutual understanding can you reach a true resolution to the problem, right? And that's the start, is learning together, asking questions and understanding the other person. And I think so many couples, pairs, new partners try and force their view on the other person rather than understanding So if I could give one piece of advice to people, it would be ask questions, understand the person you're trying to date, (laughs) you're getting with, understand them. And that applies not just to finances, that applies to everything. Yes, every single area of life, where they want to live, what job they want, why they're living, where they want to go on holiday. Why do you want, like, it's really, I'm curious, tell me, where does that desire come from? What do you want to try? Why are you going over there? Like, get curious about the person that's opposite you. Or on top of you. Or underneath you. (laughs) Let's make this dirty. (laughs) (laughs) It's a natural habit. Okay, so back to the topic of curiosity and understanding one another. So Diego and I were able to reach this point of mutual understanding, but that didn't mean that we still didn't have our differences and issues to work through. And a big roadblock that we kept running into is creating a shared vision for five or 10 years down the road. For me, I'm an idealist. I love to dream big and create these seemingly unrealistic goals. And Diego is much more grounded and realistic and practical. So I'm like this very airy energy and he's like this very earthy energy. So when we come together to do or to talk about our vision for the future, it's been a struggle for us because 
I'm trying to get him to dream bigger and see more long-term and he's more in the day-to-day and thinks more in the present. So it's been interesting because he comes from a very humble background, myself as well. Um, So I don't think he was accustomed to thinking long-term or thinking bigger. So whenever I bring up this topic of creating a vision for our future, I can just see his body tense up. And finally, I just asked him, like, why do you tense up when I bring up these conversations? And he said, you know, we never had extra money growing up. So I haven't learned how to think bigger than the day to day or why I'm saving my money. You know, he's a brilliant entrepreneur and so responsible with his money, which I admire so much. But I feel like the last missing piece is learning why we want to save our to save and invest our money. Like right now, there's no real vision or goal. The challenge sometimes is the belief of possibility. So people can hear about financial independence, but if they don't believe it's possible for them, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to entertain it. They want to push it away. They want nothing to do with it. If you don't believe something's possible for you, you you can't entertain it. And especially if you've grown up in an environment where you've never experienced it, you don't even know it, then you want to try and like, so my thought is get around people who have done these things so they can start to sense them, start to experience them, find people who have achieved what you want to achieve. And I think that was one of the biggest moments for us was going to Ecuador and meeting these people who'd done it. We're like, Wow okay, this is real, we're all in. And we set the big FI joint goal that we were both passionate about. That drove us for five years. That one goal was a five-year vision of we can do this, we can do this. And it was a joint goal. We co-created it. We knew exactly what we were doing. The power of that joint goal, because it's all we talked about. It fascinated us for decades. We'd go and walk around our town after dinner and just talk about how could we get a bit more money here and how could we do this and how could yeah we were inspired together to work on that that joint goal but i think we had to truly believe it was possible for us to get all in to making it happen do you have joint financial goals and if so what are they not necessarily in finances anymore but we have things that we work on together We have the Rebel Finance School where we give away courses that we run together teaching people this stuff. So we have a goal to run one of those a year and we've helped a couple of thousand people sort their finances out and we have goals to travel to places and do things. And every now and again, I have a goal of I want to go to Disney for my birthday and stuff like that. We have Mm -hmm. now we do a lot more goal setting together. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's been an evolution uh, over the years. Talk about the evolution. How did it start? Did it start with the financial independence conversation and having that joint goal? It's So it started with my obsession with goals, which came from self-development, which says you should have goals. So I would set goals. I would never meet them. I'd feel utterly demotivated. I would like lose a couple of weeks to being depressed and just didn't want to make progress and I had this love-hate relationship with goals that they'd inspire but when I didn't hit them I would be depressed Mm. Uh, and that's because like you set a time frame of when you're going to do them in and if you don't hit them it's very binary success or not whereas something like financial independence is a long long goal so it was less like it has to be done now we just need to chip away at it and do little bits and steps 
and then eventually like started talking about different goals and we started to set things together and like Stephen Covey's book talks about you can't build something you haven't first seen uh, so you need to he calls it start with the end in mind mm-hmm. so first visualize where you're going and then set the steps to get there and so we started to do that and talk about goals. And I started to learn it's not just a one and done. You don't set them and then forget about them. It's something you do every day. And there's been a long journey of learning about goals, how they operate. And I think they can put a lot of people off. And if you get it wrong, it can actually damage where you're going and set you back. Mm-hmm. But if you change your mindset, they can be incredibly motivational over the long term. I think that all or nothing mindset hurt you a lot, didn't it? Because mm-hmm. say you had a goal to run 20 miles and you'd never run before in your life. And that like one time you run 19 and a half miles. Oh, are you a failure because you didn't hit your goal? Like, that all or nothing thing yeah my goal was make 100 grand in a year so if you made 95 then you're a failure if you start and like maybe what the year you set that goal you were making 30 and you're like i'm gonna stretch goal i'm gonna go for 100 and you do 95 so you've tripled it but are you still then you're gonna be like oh well i didn't but i didn't i would go from 30 to 35 or whatever and then feel utterly depressed that i was nowhere near it and it completely destroyed me at that point. And I, that's the thing about thinking in decades, not years. Everyone overestimates what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in a decade. Mm. So stop thinking in years and set the big goal for way out and then improve every day on the way towards it. And you'll get there eventually. How, how did you guys work towards these goals together? Did you have weekly meetings, monthly meetings? Did you have milestones? Did you... How did you work towards these goals together? For the finances one, we would have monthly check-ins to see... Monthly finance meetings, constant discussions, what we're going to do. We got fully inspired by that one. uh, And that one took over for a long time and we got very outsized results in that area because of our focus on that one area. Financial independence for five or so years. Yes. What did those conversations look like? I'm so curious about like the details, like what, what did... What did those conversations look like? Like, give me an example of what you guys would talk about. Well, Alan has a process that we follow that comes from Jim Rohn, who's one of the original self-development OGs. And he yeah, has a process that you go through where you start by saying, what's five things you've done recently that you're proud of to get you in the right mindset of feeling positive and like, oh, I can do stuff. Look, I've already done these five things. Then... You just like... Write 50 plus goals. Who do you want to meet? Where do you want to go? What do you want to have in your life? Do you want a new fridge? (laughs) Do you... Whatever it is, write 50 plus goals and volume is important. Mm -hmm. Then you pick your top four one-year goals. And then those one-year goals you write out and put a paragraph of why they are important. And then the final piece is the question who do I have to become to achieve those goals and that's a really fascinating question because then you put okay I want to grow my business and sell this much money well who do I have to become to do that I have to become a great salesperson okay so now my task is 
to learn how to sell, to develop my skills as a business person, then you have the process to get to the goal. Whereas I think quite often we set the goal and think about it, decide some random action that we take and it never gets you towards it. So Mm -hmm. that kind of process of goal setting happened. We look back over those goals that we set over the years and invariably even the ones that we didn't focus on, you'll like read through and be like, yeah, done that, done that, done that, done that. So that thing about thinking in decades rather than years, yes, you were frustrated after only a year that you hadn't made enough progress in your Got eyes. In but you look back 10 years ago and you're like, blimey, done all of those. <laughs> and then what did the conversations actually look like? We actually found that walking together was one of the best ways. So imagine the scene... We're in Basingstoke in Hampshire. Most people won't be able to imagine that. It's grey, it's cold, <laughs> it's England, Google it's raining. The, Google the White Street Willy and uh, you'll see, what, <laughs> see what it's like. You'll know what it's like. And we're walking, we had this same loop we would do around Basingstoke that was like a half an hour walk. And that being next to each other, chatting, so you're not just face to face, like there's something about that being next to each other walking talking coming up with the ideas that was where a huge amount of the conversation actually happened i love that because whenever we go face to face i feel like there's an unnecessary tension there and we've had our biggest conversations either in the car (laughs) (laughs) or walking on the beach yeah i remember uh i don't know why this pops into my head but the weekend that he um that we went to to san pancho a little nearby beach town um and we had done the 50 questions to fall in love that one quiz that went viral i i I think that's or 36 questions to fall in love i think it was and we decided to do it in the car ride up to to san francisco to san pancho and it took it took the entire car ride, and then we continued the conversation during um, during dinner. And then, at the, <laughs> whenever we finished the questions, uh, he ended up proposing right afterwards. Oh, wow! So I thought it was really a funny funny timing that we did the, the thirty six questions to fall in love, and then he proposed afterward. But you hope it was it premeditated. I found the ring a year, no, two years before he actually proposed. He doesn't know that I found the ring in his backpack when I was cleaning. <laughs> and so, yeah, he had been thinking about it for a He'd while. He'd been thinking about it for a while, just looking for the right moment. Yeah, yeah. I um, think the beauty of the it being when you're walking or in the car is like silence is okay if you're walking it's like oh we're walking so it's not weird Mm -hmm. if you're not saying anything ah that's true so you got the time to process rather than just like looking at each other whilst you're you're thinking (laughs) do you guys have joint finances in a way we yeah i mean we don't have any joint accounts or things aren't in both of our names it's either in one name or the other but we think of it in aggregate so it's all ours so yeah, yeah. Do, yeah, in that respect. But one important part for a relationship is both people should have access to some of their own money. You should never have to go to someone else and say, please give me money for something. Like, you need to have a way so that you both have some independence financially, mm. as well as the joint working on it and the joint goals. Okay, so maybe like a... I mean, because people assume they need to join accounts or join finances when they get married but that's not, that's not a reason did. in itself you have to have a reason to want to join your finances we just 
always had separate but thought of it as together so Alan would pay for like holidays and fun stuff and I paid the mortgage, mortgage and, and bills and actually it came out about the same anyway <laughs> oh I like that that yeah. makes it really easy yeah they don't have to worry about okay now it's February we're gonna pay half and half Everyone of the rent half and half in uh-huh. and do this and do that we never had that yeah we just I think because you we always both had incomes when you were self-employed so yours was more erratic Some months I'd do really well, some months I wouldn't. And it wasn't until later on in my career that my business was growing that I was bringing in money regularly. Mm -hmm. It was very on and off to start with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Making financial decisions in the relationship. I know you had mentioned you want both of you to create the decisions together. It's like a 50-50, a 50-50 contribution to the relationship. What are some, like you gave the example of you guys have your separate accounts and then you handle, you know, the mortgage, you handle the vacations. Can you give any more examples of kind of like how you share finances and how you guys came to that conclusion? I think we've, how we came to the conclusion, I think it started from that very first bit where right at the start, Katie was at university and I was earning money and I always said it will go the other way like I will pay for food now I will pay for but at some point it will go the other way and it did and then it went the other way and I was making more money and Katie wasn't and then it went the other way and so those experiences always led to it doesn't really matter whose it is it's ours doesn't matter which account it's in it's ours yeah i don't remember ever sitting down and being like okay i'll pay x y and z and you do abc it just kind of evolved naturally yeah and then i guess the big bit in terms of investments most of the time it's whose name is most uh tax advantage to put this in and tax (laughs) drives a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. decisions and reasons and it's like okay you've got a certain capital gains allowance I've got a certain capital gains allowance we've got certain this allowance that allowance and that drives a lot of our decisions is what's the most tax efficient route and it doesn't matter what it is yeah and then it's more like a game to play together it's a game to play together to win the system (laughs) (laughs) love it What do your guys' meetings look like today? Is it just, yeah, what do your money meetings look like today? We have a monthly finance meeting that we do together, which is one of the most exciting times of the month. We get very excited. I'll say, Alan, do you know what it is tomorrow? Like, <laughs> is it monthly finance meeting? I love this. How, uh, I love this. So the Tell last, me more. <laughs> it normally involves a nice breakfast out. Yeah, the, normally last, involves. the last working day of the month will, uh, we have a net worth spreadsheet which lists out Everything that we have are, yeah. Assets and liabilities. All our assets and liabilities, and we update it to say how much we have. And then are we going in the right direction? <laughs> or are we not going in the right direction? And what happens? And then we have a good discussion of like, oh, what did we spend? Where did it go? What was a good investment of money? What was a waste of money? What would when we you spend say, more on? When you say a good investment, you mean our spending. So we look at two things. We look yeah. at like how much we have like a snapshot and then more the cash flow. So what did we spend this month? And that's what you mean when you say, was it a good investment? Was it a good, Was did we get value for money? What was a waste of money? Well, we're in our Airbnb at the moment and we paid a lot more for an Airbnb on the beach. But what a wonderful use of our financial resources because we can roll out onto the beach, go running, go swimming. It's amazing. And that's been in our discussion is 
spend more on the stuff that value that gives us value that we value and sometimes you spend money we like you go out for a fancy meal and it wasn't that good <laughs> and you're like okay it just felt a bit awkward there were too many people around you it was a bit weird and <laughs> i'll food just was go strange. to the taco stand next time <laughs> yeah and like that didn't represent value for money so let's not do that let's do that instead so we kind of have a look at that, like where could we spend more to have more happiness and where are we spending too much that does not bring happiness? That's really, that's really great. I, I haven't thought about that, doing that exercise with Diego. Where's your money going and is it bringing you happiness? Is it in line with your values? So Alan and I love having a really nice place to live, like the environment that we're in is very important to us and we enjoy food. And we enjoy eating out. Not <laughs> too necess- much. Not necessarily the fancy stuff. We like kind of like really good food, high good quality, nice quality, yeah. but not super pricey, super fancy. Um, and then on the flip side, we don't spend money on jewelry and clothes. And because that's not I've, what we value. I've never been into makeup. Like we don't value it, so we don't spend any money on it. And I think it's knowing what is important to you and spending your money accordingly. And if clothes are important and you value it, then spend your money on that. Don't spend it on a car. It just spend it on what's important to you. But sometimes I think people spend to keep up with the Joneses, to keep up appearances, whatever, and they don't actually get the joy. Yeah. That's, I just, I'm going to steal this exercise though <laughs> to make us realize what we do. I mean, we both have an idea of what we value and, and what we would like to spend money on. I love having a nice environment. So my house is really important to me. Diego, he could live anywhere and be happy. I'm all, I'm all <laughs> jealous of him. He's very, he's happy with whatever he has, which is amazing quality, but I'm trying to get him to understand. I need to have, you know, aesthetics is important to me. I need to feel like I'm in a nice environment and a nice home so I can, I don't feel, I feel good. I feel inspired. I feel safe. All these things that I feel when I'm in a good environment. Um, and so, yeah. And I try to get him to be like, Hey, like, what do you value? Like, what, what would you like to splurge money on? He can't think of anything. <laughs> He's such a practical guy. He's like, I don't need to, I don't feel the need to splurge on anything, but give me one thing. I don't, I, I feel like I'm like pestering him. Like, just give me something. <laughs> He's like, okay, a bike. <laughs> I'll spend money on a nice bike. Cool. He loves cycling. He's cycling is his life. He's so passionate about it. But I love this exercise of, of these things together, right? Like, what do you value together? Like, what, yeah, what did you spend too much money on this month? What can you spend more money on next month that you both really value? And I love that. Thank you. We can send you a list of questions that we ask ourselves each month. Please. Yes. It's part of our financial meeting each month. We ask ourselves a set of questions and yeah, questions are the key. How many questions are there? Like four or five for the end of month meeting. What are they? Can you tell me now? <laughs> Let's get into the nuts it? and bolts. What so went, what went, got, yeah. what went well this month? What did we spend a lot on? What really added value to our lives? What was a waste of money? Where could we spend some more money? And then the final like comment is, where is our money invested? How much have we got in equity, property, and cash? Love it. Do you guys have any com- uh, bullet points or questions from previous conversations, like a long time ago? I'm just curious. <laughs> It'd be in the old notebook. 
Did we? When did we start doing this? A long time ago. Did we? Monthly finance but meeting. But did we jot down those answers? I don't remember doing it. I've got January 2020. It's not that long ago. It's not that long ago, but like two and a bit years ago. Mm, yeah. What went well? We rented out our flat. Yay. Yay. We turned it into an asset. We're diligently tracking our expenses. We're very happy about that. Yeah. What do we spend a lot on? Booked all accommodation and transport for the next few months. We spent on travel insurance for the year. What really added value to our lives? You loved pole dancing, it says. Good spending of money. It was fun. It's a great workout. Alan enjoyed coffee out and working on his laptop. Each to their own. Uh, and then we bought some tickets to an, what was a waste of money. We bought some tickets to an event that we didn't end up going to. So like, that's a huge waste of money. Um, where could we spend more? Accommodation and massages was our two Ooh, comments. Oh, I like that. <laughs> we, were, we were in Thailand for comments. Yeah. And then our split was 3% cash, property 22% and equity 75%. Ooh. That was our where our money was at that time and you like reflect on your total net worth and yeah all of that that jazz where's your money going yeah perfect thank you for sharing (laughs) (laughs) some random thing for you an insight into our lives that no one knew they wanted I think they still don't. <laughs> I, but I, I love, I love hearing this and seeing this and have you guys talk about it because Diego thinks I'm really weird that like I have all these questions written down that like and I want to have these financial monthly meetings and he thinks I'm, it's too much, you know. He's like, just let things happen naturally. Come on. <laughs> and I'm like, but I want to plan our entire lives right now. I mean, it, it is weird in the <laughs> sense that it's, yeah. it is weird in the sense that it's unusual. Like no one does this. But then that's why the people that do focus on it have the results that they have because they're building that and they're focusing on it. So, yeah, it is weird, but embrace the weirdness. (laughs) Embrace the weirdness. I like that. The thing I would say to Diego and to everyone listening to this is extraordinary doesn't just happen. You don't drift into it. You have to build it. And if you're not consciously creating your life, you will just drift through it. And Mm. You can be happy doing that. And that's fine if that's your choice. We wanted to build something else. We wanted to build our version of what an extraordinary life is. And I think for everyone listening, I would say figure out what extraordinary means to you and then go after it. I love that. And it doesn't have to be big and grand and crazy. It no, might just be like, like dinner uh, with the kids every night. It's, that's extraordinary in this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Figuring out what is extraordinary to you. And that goes back to doing these questions, monthly questions. What's, what do you value? Right. Such an important question. My final two questions for you guys. When, in your personal opinion, when should people start talking about money? When should people in their dating journey start talking about money in their relationship with their person. I feel like it would come up on the first date with who's paying for the meal or who's paying for the whatever. <laughs> it always say, gets a little bit awkward and weird. And so I was like, going to say, don't, maybe not the first date, but you're right. That can prompt a little bit of weirdness. Um, 
I don't think you want to go full in with that conversation in the first three or four dates. Like, let's get to know each other. But it's interesting. Like, oh, like, what do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Like, ask questions. I think it's fascinating. And getting a little bit deeper with the person opposite you, it's really interesting to actually understand them. So start easing it in. And it doesn't even have to be questions like, how much money do you make? It can be, did your family talk about money when you were growing up, right? It's some sort of non-invasive question about their past. Which they can choose to answer in as much depth as they want to. Like, no, didn't really talk about money. And then maybe they like shut the conversation down, which is a sign. Well, it's a sign, but also it's maybe like, I'm not ready to open up about that yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You can... You can tell a lot by what a person says or doesn't say in their body language, right? It tends up right away. <laughs> and how they react when the bill comes and the tip and all sorts of different things around booking tickets for the cinema for your third date. Like, is it up to you to pay? Do they even offer? Is it discussion? Um, it's interesting. You can notice a lot about these things. And I feel like we're in an interesting time now just because it's changing quite a bit. Gender roles and as it should. Yes, it should. I have a, you know, a lot of friends that are still very old fashioned and they say, I want the guy to, to pay the bill for me. Maybe the first two dates on the third date, I'll start contributing, but I want them to pick up the bill the first two dates because I feel like I, they're making a gesture, right? Or I feel like they're showing me that they care about me. I have some friends like that still. Interesting. And then I have friends that are like, I'm insulted when they pick, when they want to pick up the bill for me, like the opposite. Yeah. And they think I can It's dangerous. There's no right answer for us anymore. And you don't know what's going to happen. I think maybe it's even like, uh, so like the bills come. How do you feel about this? Which one of us are we both going halves? Would you like me to pay? I'd love to. I don't know. It's a really, it's, it's, it's a challenging it's one. It's a minefield. It is. I don't want to step on the landmine. <laughs> it's so true. We're in that awkward phase, <laughs> but I like that. Just bringing up. That's a great conversation starter. Like, what do you think about who should pick up the bill? <laughs> Just bringing up the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any advice for partners, how they can start having these conversations around money, especially if one partner is reluctant? I think the, what did your parents teach you about money is a really nice way to ease into it because it's exploratory. It's not accusatory. Um, and the other one is start talking about what you want to build together. You need that big why before you start going into the nitty gritty of like, well, how much do you have in this account and this account? And they like, people can feel very interrogated. I love that. Yeah. I, uh, that's exactly what we did. So Diego and I started having those questions around your, our family and money psychology. And now we're in the, what kind of life do we want to create together? And I have this, <laughs> I have this huge list of questions that I had to translate into Spanish first. And then I sent it to Diego and I, I said, why don't we do, why don't we write like a vision statement? That sounds so formal, but like a, a vision statement of what we want our family to look like in five or 10 years. And, 
and here's some prompts, like some questions, and we can come together and we can share those with each other and see. That's one of the most insightful exercises. We did that when we were heading towards financial independence. We did an exercise where we both created a PowerPoint each. We sound like such corporate geeks now, but that's how we communicate. That's how we communicate. (laughs) We created a PowerPoint each of what do we want life to be like in financial independence? And then we shared it and commented it. I used a lot of pictures. It was beautiful. Um, <laughs> Implying like I didn't use a lot of pictures. And we talked about it afterwards. <laughs> and it's because I think there's always one more verbose partner. And that's challenging because then you're trying to pull answers out of the other person. Mm-hmm. Whereas you need to give them the time to write and create and think to then you can swap and comment and it'll inspire conversations. I love that you did that. We did exactly the same thing and we do it actually every year at an annual, an annual set of questions that we talk about what went well, where are we going with life? I think it's important, like you said, to answer the questions separately and then come together. Cause like you Mm -hmm. said, the danger in our relationship would be Alan would go, Oh, let's do this, this and this. And I would go, Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. And then I haven't had a chance to input in or taken the time to think about it. And I can be a bit lazy and be like, okay, yeah, you've come up with something cool. Let's just do what you said. Mm. Oh, yeah. That leads to resentment in the future if you're not careful. The first time you guys did this exercise, was there anything that came to light that was like, oh, wow, we're both on the same page or we're not on the same page with this? Or what what did that first exercise look like? Well, I think I wanted to go and write a movie and Katie wanted to cycle around the world type stuff and we had different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's good to know and then you can do a bit of this and then we do a bit of that. And mm-hmm. we, we went and I wrote the movie first and then we went to New Orleans for music for Katie later. And I think it's good that you find out these things because then you go, oh, okay, that's your dream. Mm-hmm. I want to help make your dream real because I know that will make you happy, which will make us both happy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a binary outcome where one of you gets to do what you want and the other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. There is a way to fit it all in to create the life of your dreams together. Mm-hmm. But we did have those like, Oh, you want to do that. I want to do this. How does that fit together? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, you can do them one after each other. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't done the exercise yet. We're, I just sent him the questions. So we're going to convene next week. Report back. Are you going to record it for everyone listening? I want to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I told him, I'm like, do you mind if I record? And we'll probably do it in Spanish, but I was thinking, how can I do like maybe a a translation over us speaking in Spanish? I haven't figured out the details yet, but yeah, I want to record. (laughs) I'm just looking at all the questions I have. It's going to take a while, (laughs) but yeah, that'll be fun. Did you guys talk about, um, I I promise last question. Did you guys talk about, do you guys want to have kids? No, we did talk about it. We both assumed that we would have kids because that's what you do when we first met. I wanted a four-bed house and two kids. That was my goals way back when. Which we kind of just inherited from society and culture saying, like, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And then slowly it occurred to us that we didn't want that. And we like the freedom that we have from not having kids. And One of my able- friends made it his mission to show me what bringing up kids was actually like 
changing diapers, telling me all the stories. And he would always end the stories with, and of course I love them and they're a massive joy in my life. It's um, like an ob- 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 obligatory comment after each, <laughs> after each word vomit. <laughs> he definitely created uh, an away from motivation for me if I don't want kids. And it, I, I forget now the exact number, but the, the dollar amount of raising a kid until they're 18. It's like a quarter of a million. quarter of a million, yeah. It's an expensive game. It would be cheaper in Mexico. It would be definitely cheaper in Mexico. <laughs> but we decided we didn't want kids and we love our life and our freedom. And maybe that sounds selfish in a way, but I don't care. I love my life. I love our life together. I love the way it is. I love that we get to travel and what we do and the freedom we get to create courses, give them away. It's just incredible. And I'm sure we would be happy if we had kids just a different type of life and you sometimes see our friends and they like they love their kids and they love their life and they're also jealous of our lives mm-hmm. and it like at, at which point did you guys have the kid conversation whether you wanted kids or not I think we both assumed when we were first getting together that we would have kids yeah and then it gradually shifted yeah I always just kept deferring it so we got together when we were quite young and I was like, oh, you know, when, when I'm 30, when you're 30, then we'll start thinking about it. And then I got to 30 and I was like, well, my brother had kids when he was 35. So 35 is my new deadline. And then we got to 35 and I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> we have very similar stories. <laughs> so you've decided not to have kids. Well, it's funny because same thing, whenever we got together, which is five years ago, we both uh, assumed that we would want kids. And I told him, you know, I, I, I think I will want kids when I'm, yeah, 34, 35. I was what, 30 at the time. Yeah. Um, I was 31 and I'm 36. Sorry. I'm bad with math. Okay, five, <laughs> five years ago. So anyway, yeah, we, same, same story. We both assumed we wanted kids and then you know what? It was a year. I think it was a year ago or over a year ago. And I was reading Ramit Sethi's book. I will teach you to be rich. And at the very end, there's a whole chapter dedicated to how much it, how much it costs to raise a child. <laughs> and I, I got done reading it. And at that time I was, yeah, 30, I was 34, I think at the time. And I, I still didn't have that urge to, to, that I wanted to have kids. And I turned to Diego and I just said, I don't think I want to have kids. <laughs> and he just said, okay. And I said, really? Okay. And he said, yeah, I think it's okay. And I go, I don't know. I think you want kids. And he said, yeah, but at the same time, they're really expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And the world, this is during the pandemic when it first hit. And he was like, the world is just in shambles right now. I don't know if that's a good choice. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking <laughs> because I want to make sure I don't want to, I don't, I'm and now I'm 36 and I don't, I still don't want children. I don't think I'm going to want children. And I'm just worried that he is going to want children. And so I want to keep having that conversation with him and, and seeing how important that is 
We always said if like Katie goes past it and we want kids, Katie goes past. That's not what I meant. Well, like yeah, we bitch and aid where our fertility declines. We're talking about freezing my eggs right now, so I get it. (laughs) We could always adopt. We could always do something else. Like there are plenty of kids out there that need loving parents. Mm -hmm. There are ways to do it, and we've got nieces and nephews that we can go and hang out and then return them afterwards they kind of fulfill our, our <laughs> like parental needs like that yeah. bond and connection yeah it's obviously not the same but we get the joy from being around them yeah and if we ever want to change our minds we could adopt we could do different things we can settle down in a place we can work it out and i don't like I I don't want to make a decision forever. I want to see how we feel. And the way we felt for a long time is no. Mm -hmm. And then we'll just see what happens. Yeah, that's where we are. We've discussed adoption and uh, freezing my eggs. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But but it's a big decision. You can't just say, like... and there's a deadline as well which is different from other decisions like well we can always change our minds later you don't have the same option if you want to have your own biological children exactly i mean they are working on fertility technology hopefully in the next 10 years that'll be a different story but (laughs) currently yeah there's a deadline (sighs) anyway what a conversation what a conversation anything else you want to add before we wrap up where can people find you so if they want to find us, I have a website called alandonegan.com and we both write articles about financial independence and we run our rebel finance school that we give away and I run the rebel business school. So just Google Alan Donegan and you will find us and me and what we're up to and all of that stuff. And I have a podcast called The Rebel Entrepreneur. Which is amazing. I'm binged it last year (laughs) thank you very much it's all about how to start debt-free businesses and that's been my mission to help people make money for a long time and i guess my closing thought for everyone listening to this is you can build any life you want to i genuinely believe that any of you listening to this can build any life you want to don't just let it happen to you take control of it and build the life you actually want. Decide what is your version of extraordinary and then create it. I love that. So important. People check out his blog, his podcast, their rebel business school, rebel finance school. I will link to everything in the show notes. What's your favorite? Where do you like to talk to people? Uh, is Instagram, Facebook, the blog, newsletter. Face to face in a taco <laughs> shop in Puerto Vallarta would always be good. Um, but yeah, they can send us a message on, on the blog is a great place to find us. Okay, cool. And they offer amazing uh, courses on finance and entrepreneurship. And yeah all around amazing people that I've become so close to in here in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. So thank you for taking the time as always much appreciated. Thank you for inviting us on the podcast. This is season three of the date smart podcast. This podcast was hosted by me, Taylor Wade, and is brought to you by ambiance matchmaking an exclusive matchmaking agency for conscious leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs complete an application by clicking the link in the episode show notes or going to ambiance forward slash apply. 
Hit subscribe to get notified when new episodes come out. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. It helps others find our show. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ambiance Match. And we'll see you next time.